Hello, hey, hey, hola. Welcome to Earth Sauce, the show in which we break down new scientific publications into bite-sized chunks for your listening pleasure. My name is Kyle, and I'll be your guide for the next little bit while we delve into this week's paper. If you have a paper that you'd like me to break down, you can email the citation to podsauce at gmail.com. With that being said, let's go ahead and get started on this week's article. Corals. What are they? Why are they? Why should we care? How are they even affected by climate change? Well, I'm sure everyone's heard of the coral reef bleaching, the Great Barrier Reef dying off, and sadly, not being able to recover. But there is hope. This week's paper, entitled Global Biogeography of Coral Recruitment, Tropical Decline, and Subtropical Increase, published earlier this year by Price and others, talks about the hope that we can hold out in terms of coral recruitment and their decline. And as far as their migration, is is there anything that can be done for these corals as the waters warm up? It turns out, in fact, they might not need much help. They seem to already be adapting to climate change and moving around and finding new suitable environments in which they can live. Let's dig deeper. So with this being the first episode of the podcast, I'm going to give you guys a little bit of background and what you can expect going into each episode. I'm first going to start off with the hypothesis or the hypotheses that are being tested in the paper, um, which are usually stated in the introduction to the paper. Uh, I will then go into some definitions that I believe will be important uh, in the discussion of this paper. They could be words that are defined in the paper. They could be words or phrases that aren't necessarily defined in the paper, but what I think are is, what I think is important. Um, for reading this paper and through discussing it. I will then go into the thoughts that I had before reading the paper, where I found it, um, what I was thinking after reading the introduction, and why I thought it would be an important paper to discuss. I will then move on to a quick summary of the paper, discussing its findings, discussing their methods, if I think that is applicable, um, discussing their conclusions, and then I will talk about the strengths of the paper, the weaknesses of the paper, and any leftover questions or concerns that I had after reading the article and what I would like to see in the future. All right, starting firstly with the hypotheses of this paper. The first part of the hypotheses that they're testing is that the abundance of the coral recruits has changed over time. Um, A general hypothesis that they looked at over the past couple of years, the past 30 years, I should say, and that the range of the coral recruits has extended more towards the poles, towards more suitable environment and more suitable temperature of these corals. Moving on into a few definitions that I believe are important for understanding this paper and why the authors tested what they did. Um, The first being a recruit, obviously it is important for this paper because they mention it in their hypotheses. Um, So the authors define a recruit as any coral that is a few months to a year old and quantified using sediment tiles. Now there are a few types of sediment tiles that they refer to in the paper. The first being a sit, which is a short-term immersion tile. Um, It has been in the water for less than three months. The second being a lit, a long-term immersion tile, which is in the water from anywhere between three and 24 months. Now the main phyla of coral that these authors looked at are scleractinian corals, um, more colloquially referred to as stony corals. They're part of the Nidaria family and they are primary reef formers, which is why the authors chose to look at this particular type of coral. Also, we need a couple definitions for the location of the studies that they that 
they reviewed. Um, the first being a tropical, which is anything less than 20 degrees latitude. The second being a subtropical region, which is greater than 20 degrees latitude. And these are important for when the authors are talking about the results and they are discussing the movement of the corals to a particular region in the ocean. So my thoughts going into this paper um, were generally kind of scattered. Uh, I, I was excited to read this paper because reading the introduction, it gave me some hope that the decline that we're seeing in the coral reefs isn't as potentially irreversible as first expected. Um, after reading the introduction, I, I believe that the ideas behind the paper were logical. The hypotheses seemed totally testable going off of the data that they've had for the past 30-ish years. Um, I was expecting a lot of statistical analyses, which is a little bit tough for me to read about because I haven't taken statistics in quite a while, and I could definitely use a refresher course, but the authors did a pretty reasonable job of explaining why they did which tests when and what they were expecting to see and what they did see. Um, I found this paper on an app that I use that gives me a couple interesting facts every day. Um, and after reading their review of the paper, I decided that it would be good for me to read it myself and do my own review on it. And uh, last point, I was also skeptical going into the paper. Um, I'm skeptical going into every paper that I read as you should be, just to make sure that the authors of the paper convince you why their study is accurate and why what they did is important and why it should be accepted in the world of science. And now moving on into a summary of the paper itself. Um, so the authors reviewed 38 years of coral movement studies and the overall trends in the movements of the recruits that the authors saw was consistent with what they hypothesized. Um, it, it is suggested, it looks like the corals are moving towards the poles as expected and away from the equator, so more towards the subtropical regions in the higher latitudes, away from the tropical regions in the lower latitudes. And this is important because as the temperatures are changing, as climate change is taking effect on the waters, the biggest changes will be seen closer to the poles. So the changes in the equators won't be as great as in the poles, which is why the corals are moving more towards the poles just to stay with the consistent change in the temperatures of the water so that they can still survive. Corals are naturally stenothermal, which means they can only tolerate a small change in the temperature that they are experiencing in the water, which is why we see this movement towards the poles. They like to maintain the same steady temperature range that they're used to. Side note, this is happening in terrestrial species as well. We're seeing globally that most terrestrial and marine species are moving towards the poles just to maintain the similar temperature range that their bodies are used to. Also found in this paper, the authors have some data that suggests that sits have a higher recruitment density as opposed to lits, which would make sense because of the long immersion times that the lits are in the water. This is exposing them to various other factors that can affect the densities of the corals on the lids. Um, this is also why long-term studies are so hard to conduct because there is myriad factors 
that can change the data that can affect the outcome of the study and give you data that you're not really looking for. The authors considered their hypothesis supported because of a couple trends that were shown in the range shifts. Um, the first trend being that there was a decreased fecundity in the current ranges of the corals, which means there is a decreased reproductive output and a decrease in reproductive times throughout the year for the corals. Um, and an increase in the recruits in the poor locations. So the combination of these two, the decrease at the home range and an increase in the new range, suggests that they are moving, which is what the authors found in the reviews of data from the other studies based on the SITs and the LITs. Generally, the SITs showed a higher recruitment than the LITs because there was higher mortality in the first few months of recruitment. So when the corals first land on these immersion tiles, they are more likely to remain there within the first couple months as opposed to a longer time period. So this would make sense that the sits generally have a higher density as opposed to the lits because after the first few months, the, the recruits that are there on the tiles have either have, have died off or they have been moved on to some other location which will obviously decrease the density of the long immersion tiles. Um, to understand how these tiles are counted, they are either counted immediately after being taken out of the water or they are preserved and then counted. And this is important for data collection because within the preservation process, the recruits that are on the tiles could be knocked off either during the washing process or during the bleaching and drying process itself. So this can just give um, different results based on if it is scored live or if it is scored preserved. Also important when studying corals is the material that the tile is made from and the size of the tile, which is one of my discrepancies with this paper, but I'll talk about that later after I have finished the summary. Now the authors also discussed a few different ways um, in which the migration will be affected depending on the latitude. In the lower latitudes or in the tropical regions, the factor that will most likely affect the migration is just an increase in temperatures. At the higher latitudes or in the subtropics, the migration will be affected by algal blooms, the aragonite saturation, and aragonite is important for the forming of the coral reefs. It's a natural, it's one of the most naturally formed um, calcium carbonate structures which is important for these corals to form their hard outer shell, thus forming the reef, um, as well as the lower light intensity that will be experienced in these subtropical regions. And now the strengths and weaknesses of, these, of this one paper. Um, so I think that the strengths of the paper are that these authors address why some of the studies may not be the most accurate, also why some of the long-term studies might run into so many problems. Um, on page six, they explained it, I think, quite concisely. Um, they called it stochastic spatiotemporal variation in recruitment. Um, in layman's terms, just random events may skew the data that is being collected. Um, I also think that the strengths of this paper are that they did very thorough statistical analyses of the data that they reviewed. Um, and they kind of tied everything together with a nice little bow and explained why their hypotheses were supported. 
now onto some weaknesses of this current paper. Um, there, there's they're minor, but it's points that I would like to see addressed. Because I'm not a, a coral scientist, I'm not a marine biologist, I'm just a general biologist, or I consider myself a general biologist at least. Um, uh, on, on page three, they didn't define what shallow water meant. Um, so I would just like to see if it was five meters, 10 meters, half a meter. Um, again, it's small, but I would just like to know uh, just out of sheer curiosity. Um, the authors also made a few assumptions in the paper, like on page four, they assumed that for about 229 of the studies that didn't explicitly state how they collected the data or how they counted the tiles, um, they just assumed that bleaching and drying was used because it seems to be the most common practice. And also in their methods, they assumed that the recruits on the tiles are uniformly distributed across all surfaces. Um, so these assumptions might not necessarily have made a huge impact and they were probably necessary in the gathering of the data and the reviewing of the data. But in science, we just wanna be careful with which assumptions we make and why. And if we do have to make the assumptions, um, explain them, explain why we're making the assumptions, which the authors did a good job of here. And my last disgruntlement with the paper is just that, like I discussed earlier, they didn't explicitly state why the material of the immersion tile is important for the data. Um, so I'm gonna go out on a limb, make my own assumptions here, that some materials have higher retention abilities than others. Um, I'm assuming some of them have a little bit more friction, versus others that don't have more friction um, so that the recruits that are on the tiles are more likely to stay on there throughout the duration of the study and throughout the scoring process, whether it be live scoring or through preservation. And now I'm just gonna go into any remaining questions or thoughts that I had after reading this paper as we go over our outro music from bensound.com. Um, so after reading the whole paper, I just have couple points that I would like to read to have read about um, or some points that I will research in the future um, again I would like to know for sure why tile material is affecting the equipment um, again in the study they only reviewed a certain specific phylum of coral the scleractinians um, and I would like to know why they had to go that broad on the corals that they reviewed um, why and why is it so hard to get down to species-specific data? Um, and is species-specific data even important when it comes to corals? Um, for the future, um, I would like to see from these authors, I'd like to see from every author's, every author's paper, excuse me, um, what ways the authors would suggest to improve the data collection process, where the authors would like to go into the future, what they would like other authors to build on in future papers. Um, and then just my final question that I would like to know is, are there any other aquatic taxa or which aquatic taxa rather are showing similar distribution changes? Um, I mentioned earlier that it seems to be global in both aquatic and terrestrial species, but that is a vague assumption that I have made. Um, so I'd like to know specifically which species are in fact showing these distribution changes. 
that is it for this episode of Earth Sauce. Thank you very much for listening. Again, my name is Kyle. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, or there's a paper that you'd like me to review for the future, go ahead and send those over to podsauce at gmail.com. I will respond to you as fast as I can, and I will get your paper up as soon as possible. Thanks again for listening, everyone. Have a great evening. Have a great day. Have a great night, wherever you are. I will see you on the next episode of Earth Sauce. Stay saucy, my friends. <laughs>